0: I to talk to you today a little bit about uh, a couple. I'm doing three messages. This one next week, and the next week around Easter. Okay, so today I want to talk to you a, bit, a little bit about before Easter. And I titled this "Before Easter I Am." So, so many times we focus on the resurrection and on Easter Sunday, and we think, well, that was the that was the thing, man. That was the defining moment. That was the thing that that really put Jesus on the map, you know, and because of the resurrection, man, that's the, that's the power, and that's the Easter Sunday, the tomb, and all the things that go along with the angels, and Mary was there, and, and Peter's running, he and John outran him because he put it in his book and wanted to brag about the fact that he outran Peter, all that kind of, we read about all this stuff, and we think, well, the resurrection was the defining moment, but I would just submit this to you, that before the resurrection ever took place, God did not need a resurrection to prove who he was. The resurrection was not the form of proof. The resurrection was not needed to prove who God was. He was already God. He doesn't need to prove who he is. He is who he is. He doesn't need a resurrection to prove that. But, so, but God did something much more, and I'm not going to say powerful, but just different in the area to prove who he was so that everything was locked, solid, and based upon one event. One well, event's amazing. It, it's, it's what transformed all of us. But that's not the thing that God used to really set his name in motion and prove that he was who he said he was. Because you do realize this, a lot of people when the resurrection took place didn't believe even after he resurrected. So what God did was he chose prophetic writings. He gave them to people and they penned them in paper. Hundreds upon thousands of prophetic writings They're all throughout the Bible, over 350 plus on Jesus alone that have been fulfilled. He did this thousands of years ago, 400 years before Christ, 1,000 years before Christ, so that it was already in print form, so that it could not be denied, so that it could not be, oh, we can, I mean, just imagine if Jesus was born in our era, what would have happened? They could Google everything. Well, does anybody ever... What's he got to be? He's got to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, let's put it on that in the Bible. What else has he got to... Well, he's supposed to come... uh, He's supposed to be from a Virgin Mary. Well, we'll just make that up. Okay, we'll put it... How's that? What else has he got to... Well, he's got to have a stepdaddy named Joseph. Well, let's find Joseph. We'll put that in the... You could Google anything and come up with all kind of writings about him. At that moment in time, they could not do that. There's no possible way a guy can write on papyrus paper a thousand years prior to and another guy... 400 years prior to, and then you got Micah, and then you got Malachi, and all these people that are different times and different eras, and writing the same story, and it all interconnect and is woven together, and it be true, and the resurrection fulfills it, lest it be God. So God put everything in paper in a way to prove that he was who he said he was. And if you don't believe that's significant, think about how many times that men have failed in their words that they said were going to come to pass. Men and women. Okay, let's just pick on the men, okay? Leave you ladies alone right now, all right? but just pick on the men. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Just just a few examples. Think back on this, okay? This is one, I read some of these things and I I, I thought was hilarious because now you look back on it and you think, well, that's foolishness. But at their time, this is what was said about the car. In 1903, the president of Michigan Savings Bank told Henry Ford's lawyer to protect his money. The horse is here to stay. The automobile is just a fad. Now, how many of y'all rolled up in here on a horse this morning? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't see any ponies tied to a post out there. No, oh, that's crazy. This other guy, <clears throat> uh, his name was Junius Morgan. He was the, his son is J.P. Morgan. you probably heard of him. He's the guy that's got the big financial thing, J.P. Porn and Stanley and all that kind of stuff. All right, so the, his son, he told his son, J.P. had hired Tom Edison to wire up his mansion, making it the first private residence in New York to have electric lighting. Luckily for his bank account... J.P. Morgan didn't listen to his dad, who said electricity will never make it. <laughs> he invested heavily in L. Edison and pretty much got a big old block of money out of GE. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he did pretty good. Here's a great one right here. <clears throat> in 1876, the president of Western Union. Back then, you know they did texting before texting was cool, right? I mean, they were it was old school. You know that's how they did it. So he said he dismissed phones as a toy when Alexander Bell offered to sell him the patent for 100 grand. I bet his family hates his guts. When they did Ancestry.com, they saw his name and said, You're a fool. It's because of you. We all don't have anything, man. We could have been living well. Didn't buy the patent. Orton wrote an internal memo stating, of course, because he was, you know, did it, did it, did it, did it. So he wrote an internal memo saying, the idea is idiotic on the face of it. Furthermore, why would any person want to use this ungainly and impractical device when he can send a messenger to the telegraph office and have a clear written message sent to any large city in the United States? Yeah, of course. Why not? Because it makes so much more sense to do that than have a tel- telephone, right? But it hadn't been just so long ago, there's been others who, even with the phone, even an iPhone, that people said, specifically, this was a guy that was the CEO of Microsoft in 2007, he said, there's no chance the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. That's what Steve Ballmer, former CEO of Microsoft, said, you know. How many y'all got one of these? A smartphone? About everybody in here probably has some form of phone. This is one of the best ones ever. If you were alive before the year 2000, most of you guys over here have no idea. I'm sorry, but, you know, it was hilarious. You should have been there. You should have been there. But at Y2K, everybody said, right? Your VCRs are going to attack you in the middle of the night. Airplanes are going to veer off their course. You know, I mean, like, really, that's what was going to happen. And people had watch night. They were like, oh, what's going to happen? I mean, everything, unplugging stuff. People were freaking out and nothing happened. Biggest, biggest, most newsworthy story of the uh, a century, and it was nothing there. all mind you predictions of a human who said it would happen and it didn 't happen so i 'm going to share with you this morning a couple of things about prophecy that that might just throw you a little bit about the the proof of Christ and why he doesn 't have to have a resurrection to prove who he is. He did something even better to prove about who himself is, and we think sometimes that the proof. We think that because we believe, we think that faith is the greatest thing. And it is, okay? I understand that. But God does not mind you using sight for things either. The the fact is we read Bible stories like this in John chapter 20, verse 24. Let me read this to you. This is about Thomas. You know, poor Thomas. He gets such a bad rap, you know? How would you like to be nicknamed Doubting Thomas? I mean, when you get to heaven, you know, you're going to find him? You're going to look him up? Like, yeah, where's Doubting Thomas? I want to see him. Let's see I bet he's going to be so mad. Everybody comes to heaven wants to meet him. Hey, what's up, doubting Thomas? Man, shut up. That's not my name. Every one of these disciples had issues, you know, but that's got to be the worst one. So Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, which means the twin, he was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus had talked to some of the other disciples. So the other disciples were saying to him, hey, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. We have, come on, we have wait a minute, how come it is that they got to see the Lord and it wasn't anything wrong with that? Thomas just wants to see him too. Isn't that funny how we think that the disciples were all so spiritual because they believed, they didn't. Jesus walked in the middle of the room, poof, there he is, walked right through the wall. Freaked! It. If you saw that, you what would you do? I don't believe it. No, you wouldn't. Freak out for a moment, maybe run, look back in the door, and he's still there, man. That's really him. They believed it because they had no other option. It wasn't faith. They saw him. So they said, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, well, unless I see his hands with the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand to his side, and I won't believe. So after eight days, his disciples are all gathered together again, and Thomas was with him, doubting Thomas. And Jesus came. The doors having been shut. He did his trick again. <laughs> you know, I'm saying? Like, he's like, just, just. You know, walking through stuff like the Avengers, man, you know. He just walked right through a wall. And there he is. He says, the doors haven't been shut. He stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand put into my side and don't be unbelieving but, 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 you know, believing. So Thomas said, and he answered him. He said to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. He wasn't talking about the disciples, case in point, because they saw him too. He was talking about it, you and I. The fact that you haven't seen Christ and yet you still believe. But is it really fair to say how, what level of faith would they have had if they saw him walk through a wall and yet you haven't got to see that? So, so do they have a greater belief system, if you will, based upon what they've seen than what you do based on what you haven't seen? I would submit to you no. Because when Jesus was resurrected, and I'm not going to all this today, but when he was resurrected, many other resurrections took place. Many people walked down the streets of Jerusalem. And the Bible says about Jesus, even if one was raised from the dead, they still wouldn't believe. A lot of people saw this, they knew this, they still didn't believe. It has nothing. To, the resurrection itself is not what creates a faith in your heart. Je, the Bible tells us this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, what? The The Word. God always goes back to his word. He said, I'll watch over my word to perform it and see that it comes to pass. He said, man, he sent his word and it healed them. Jesus, he used the word. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Don't ever lose fact of what's most valuable to God, and that is his word. He said, I put preeminence, I put authority, I put this power, this presence, I put a stamp on my word that I will not go back on my word. You might see stuff that happens in your life, but guess what? That's great, but he'll never go back on his word. It's always true. There's a thing about this in verse 30 I thought was very funny because it says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. It's verse 30. It's not written in this book. But these have been written so that you might... Oh man, but if I just saw somebody healed, then I could know God, Uh uh-uh. That's great, but that's not what God uses to instill faith in your heart. He uses his, His Word. That's what He uses. It is the Word that creates and generates faith in our hearts. So why did God do this? What was the point? And why did He do this? Because He wanted to prove beyond any doubt that He was who He said He was. I'm not gonna get into all this right now, but Jesus wasn't the first one resurrected from the dead. That's not why people believe because he was resurrected. There were other people in the Bible that were resurrected. Some by accident. There's some guys in the Bible that threw a dude in the in a grave on top of Elijah's bone, he came back out. Like, oh, what's up. Accidental resurrections. They didn't even mean, they didn't pray for the guy. It didn't mean to happen before Jesus. There's been other resurrections all throughout the Bible. There's been resurrections since like you've been alive right now. How many near death stories you heard about? People saw a white light, talked to grandma, or grandpa, came back. They were flatlined, eight, ten minutes, whatever. They come back. Jesus isn't the only one. So He, he puts something even greater. That's his word. He gives His word many, many years out and says, This is what's gonna happen. 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 What's gonna happen. So that when it actually does take place, people go like, You can't deny that. Because he said it was gonna happen. Humans say Y2K is going to happen. It doesn't happen. God says this is going to happen. It does happen. How can you deny that? You can't. So if I pick up my daughter every day from school, let's just see this. If I pick her up every day, I'm picking up my kids, or you know, not picking up, but taking them to school. I drive them to school for like since they've been going to school all of their life, for the most part. Haley, sometimes but most time I take them to school in the morning. So I take them to school every day. But what if my kids start saying this? Man, they tell their friends at school, man, I just, I just don't believe my dad's going to take me to school tomorrow. I just don't believe my dad's going to take me to school tomorrow. Why don't you believe that? I don't I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Just don't, but he, taught, he brought you yesterday. Yeah, I know it. But but he brought you the day before, didn't he? Yeah, but the day before, yeah. I mean, there's occasions when I don't. But they just tell all their friends, I just don't believe him. he's going to bring me to school tomorrow. But for years, eight, ten years, I've been taking him to school, and they keep saying that. Would you not think that's strange? And Why? Would I not be a little bit... Listen, my kid, Like, why do you say that? I've been driving you to school for years. This is not about faith. This is about accepting. I'm taking you to school. This isn't about faith. This is about refusing to accept something you know to be true. That's what it is. It is not a lack of faith. So John, he says this. This is why this stuff's been written down for you, so that you might believe. I'm going to give you... A couple of ideas here and read you some stuff. It'll take just a minute. But I think you'll, you'll get where I'm going from when, it, when I talk about his word and the power of his word. There was a scientist years and years ago, early 1900s, and they did a survey or an experiment with a bunch of college students that were made up from a scientific community, a board-certified scientific community. It was made up of not only Christians but also, also agnostics and, and, and atheists and evolutionists. it okay? was others involved in this area. It was not just a Christian thing. But this guy, his name, his name is Peter Stoner. You can look it up. I, don't, I had the book on my software, so I had to export it into to a piece of paper so I could read this to you because I couldn't get it off my – I don't have the book. I have it on e- ebooks, whatever. So anyway, they did a study, did a survey, and this is pretty much what they come up with. They decided to lay down eight prophecies, just eight. Eight prophetic prophecies fulfilled by Jesus Christ, eight, and that's what the survey is based on. There are over 355, by the way, that Jesus fulfilled. They decided to just pick eight. The probability, listen, to this, the mathematical probability of this taking place and one person be able to fulfill these prophecies. Listen to just the math. You know, everybody loves math because you went back to school and doing it now. If you got kids, you went back to math. I hate to, I mean, is that right? Amen. Praise the Lord. You're like, I mean, I've watched so many YouTube videos on mathematics again. Like, I feel like I've gone back to school, you know. If you hadn't got to go back to math, you just don't know what you're missing. It's just been wonderful. So these following eight prophecies... The first one is this. This is from a scripture. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to listen. I'm going to read it fast to you, okay? Be you, o Bethlehem, you though you are little among the thousands in Judah, yet out of these shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, who is going forth, have been from old, from eternity, or everlasting. That's got to be who? Come on, everlasting. Come on, eternity. They ain't but one guy, right? It, who else could do that, right? So that's out of Micah. This is a prophecy. First prophecy they picked. So they asked the students, they said, how many, one man and how many, the world over has been born in Bethlehem? This is the probability, the numbers they come up with. In that time, 7,000 plus people lived in Bethlehem, so it's one guy and 7,000, but they couldn't just base it upon that time period, they're based on all of humanity. At this time the study was done, there's 2 billion people on the planet. So he put out the study, they come up with a conclusion, conservative conclusion, it said, one man... Out of 7,150 people that lived in Bethlehem at the time, out of the 2 billion people in the population of the planet at the time, it's one guy in Bethlehem out of all those populations that could have made this happen. Just one. The conclusion was like one man in 2.8 times 10 to the 5th power could have been born in Bethlehem and fulfilled this prophecy. one, Just one. Second prophecy. He said, Behold, I'll send my messenger and he shall prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way before me, Malachi 3.1. How many guys have been born in Bethlehem that I gotta go before him, John the Baptist, as a forerunner and prepare the way of another guy? How many guys? The probability of that happening, the probability is one in one thousand as being extremely conservative that it might happen. So they put it one into the tenth to the third power. Third scripture: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto thee. He's just, having salvation lowly and riding upon the colt. How many guys could have been born in Bethlehem, had a guy be his forerunner to declare he was the Lord, and he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? If They gave that illustration. Well, this guy, now these are individual prophecies, but I'm laying them out to you. Know, individual, well, a guy could have come into Jerusalem with, with authority as some kind of a king. There could have been a guy come in during that time. But okay, well, they gave the probability maybe 1 in 10 to the 4th power. They cut it in half and said, we're going to do it 1 to the 10 to the 2nd power. Be very conservative on it. Here's another prophecy. Number four, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in my hands? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. How many guys could have been born in Bethlehem, had a guy that was forerunner before him named John the Baptist, proclaiming the word of the Lord, came into Jerusalem on a donkey, was betrayed by a friend, and was pierced in his hands? How many guys do you know that could have happened to they gave, well, this guy that could have been betrayed is kind of a weird thing, but it could happen. So they gave the guy a betrayal. Probability of all this stuff right here, they gave him. They said, well, probably maybe one in 10,000. He could have been betrayed and crucified because it's individual prophecy. Then the fifth one, he said, if you think you're good, give me my price. If not for so they weighed me for 30 pieces of silver. How many people who was born in Bethlehem, who had a forerunner before them named John the Baptist who could proclaim the word of the Lord. A guy came in on a donkey right into Jerusalem, was betrayed by a friend who was pierced in his hands, and then betrayed with 30 pieces of silver that you know of. Probability of betrayal with 30 pieces, because that gets specific. You get very specific when you say 30 pieces of silver. The probability of that, he said, might be, well, I don't know, maybe, hmm, 30 pieces of silver. So they gave him one in 10,000 or one to the tenth of the fourth power. They cut it and said, We'll give them one and ten to the third power. It gets even better. Sixth prophecy. And the Lord said to me, Cast it unto the potter at goodly price, which was prized to them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver, cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. This is so specific. How many people do you know that you've read about that were born in Bethlehem, had a forerunner named John the Baptist proclaiming the word of the Lord, came into Jerusalem riding a donkey, betrayed by a close friend pierced in his hands through because of the betrayal, and for 30 pieces of silver. But not just that. He took the 30 pieces of silver, went to the temple, and the Bible says, threw it down in front of the priest. How many people do you know has that happened to? They decided for an individual prophetic word, they decided that would be, let's give it one in 100,000. That could actually happen too, that we know of that 30 pieces of silver is thrown down in the temple, just one prophecy, one in 100,000. So they said, we use estimate one in 10 to the fifth power. Seventh one, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before a shears as dumb. So he opened not his mouth. How many people do you know that this has happened to, that were born in Bethlehem, had a foreign name, John the Baptist, rode into the Jerusalem on a donkey, betrayed by one guy who was his friend, led to the crucifixion, the piercing of his hands, betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, then he took the silver into the temple, threw it before the priest. How many guys do you know that after that, would not open his mouth in one defense. You don't know anybody. But just for this one prophecy, he said a guy that could just sit there and take it and not defend himself, they placed that as maybe one in 10,000. They used one in 10 to the third pile. But they just cut it back. Eight, the eighth one they used. This is just eight prophecies. These are not even the big ones. This is eight prophecies. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed on me. They pierced my hands and they pierced my feet. Psalm 22, 16. They estimated this about studying. You got to understand this. Why I'm doing this today. The probability of a man being born that was in Bethlehem. Born there. And then he has all these things I've just described to you. The probability of him being right there at this time for the crucifixion that took place, because we don't do crucifixion today. And they didn't do it a thousand years before. It was the Romans who invented this. I mean, there was was prophetic writings that took place thousands of years ago in your Bible. Haman was impaled upon a pole. They believed that to be a form of crucifixion back then. But as far as the art form, the Romans were the ones that developed it in a way that it could be published so that we would still have it and information available to us today. They gave this probability of a person being born to be crucified after studying this, 1 in 10,000, or 1 in 2 to the 10th to the 4th power. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you know that have been born in Bethlehem, that have had John the Baptist as a foreigner to declare who they were, that they were the Lord, have come into Jerusalem on a donkey, betrayed by a friend, pierced in his hands because of it, betrayed with silver, 30 pieces of it, gives it back to the priest, not only that, he comes in, he is quiet. He doesn't say a word, and then on top of it is fully executed Roman style. The probability of that, when it is combined, is a number that you don't even... We, the national debt is, is like a dollar compared to this. I'll put this on the screen for you. This is the number, the probability. Of all eight, eight taking place. By one guy, this is the number, the chance of it happening. And I put the B and the M and the T and the Q just so you could know the numbers you know of. You know, the millions, the billions, you know, after you get up to trillions. Of qu- I had to look up the next ones. I'm like, what, is, what comes after that? We don't use that, you know. The national debt that everybody's freaking out over is the T. <laughs> he keeps going. That's just eight. He fulfilled over 355 mathematically impossible for a man to figure out this equation and to come up with this plan and say, yeah, guy, could do this. It's proven. There is no denying this. You can say what you want to say. People can print what they want to print. It doesn't matter. The facts are true. Jesus Christ was crucified. The facts are there. He was betrayed. All this stuff is in Israel. You can see it for yourself. There is no denying the fact that well, he did what he said he did, and this is there. The reality is this, though. If you were to take this and take a hat, I don't have a hat we but if you took a hat, you put ten tickets into the hat, you stirred it all up, took a guy blindfolded him with a little blindfold, and he sticks his hand there, he has one in ten chances of getting the right ticket. Right? One in ten chances. This number is nuts. So of course they had to find the state that it would work with, so they picked the biggest one, which was Texas, and all the Texans had to be proud of that, because you know that just totally made their world. And so they agree with this, whether it's true or not. They just like the fact their name's in the equation, you know. So they said the fact that in Texas, you could take silver dollars in the state of Texas and fill up the state of Texas two feet deep. This is the number, and that would be that number there. Take one of those silver dollars and mark on it somewhere in the middle of Texas. And Texas is big, in case you don't, it's like five of Georgia. You think Georgia's big, Texas is massive. Here we think people have a big farm. They have 500 acres over there. It's called a, it's called a small farm. I'm not kidding. You. That's what they tell you. So anyway, you take the same guy of the same blindfold. You tell him to go to the state of Texas, and he's got to pick out that one silver dollar. That's just with eight prophecies. Is that even possible for a man to do? What do you think the chances of him being able to do that? Is? He's not going to get it. It's a fluke thing. He's never going to hit it. That's just eight prophecies. I tried to, I, I want to tell you this because I wanted you to see this. The prophecies concerning Jesus, God foretold so that the proof would be present. There is no denying this. None. So it comes down to this. It is not about faith as much as it is about the fact that these people, these leaders at their time, they rejected the Messiah, which is what your Bible tells you. It was not for a lack of belief. They rejected. It means they knew. My kids know i take them to school every morning. If they tell everybody that he's not going to do it, they're rejecting what? The truth. This is no different. In Luke 3.15, it says this, Now, when the people were in the state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. And none might not fit to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What he's saying is the people are in this state of expectation because the Bible predicted within a three-and-a-half-year period that Jesus would be alive at that time in which you know about in the history of humanity. The Bible, you can go back and look through Daniel and find the numbers. It'll lead you to it. There's a year, span of between 435, 432, somewhere in there. There's a three to three and a half year period when they knew Messiah was alive. The priests, the preachers, the leaders, they knew he was alive. That's why everyone was in a state of expectation. When they saw John, they thought, are you the one? It wasn't because they went out there and said, oh, you're the newest, coolest preacher in town. That's not what was going on. They were told, he's here, he's here, he's somewhere. We don't know where he's at, but based on Scripture, he's alive. And so people were excited. That's why he, Jesus had such a crowd, because when they realized who he was, people, they flocked to him. But the preachers of the day didn't like it because he had more Twitter followers than they did. <laughs> so they rejected him. That's why Jesus told them, if the blind lead the blind, both fall into ditch, not because they don't know, but because you've rejected the truth that could change your life. And if you lead other people who have no knowledge of that, how much worse is it for them? I shared all this with you because I want to give you an illustration and then wrap up today with this. My daughter asked me this question. She says, my middle my middle kid, we're sitting in a truck the other day, and so she's got a milkshake. She does band and stuff like that. She, she's playing drums, and, and, and so she's, she's going to practice, and so um, it was a crazy day. It was kind of weird. She had basketball, and then she had that. It was kind of nuts. I don't know how we... Somehow our schedules, we got gotten all this stuff. I don't know what we did. But it all just, you know, you ever had your kids' schedule where they all just line up on one day? It's like everything, and you go like, There's not po- this is not possible. But somehow it just it happens, and you leave and get home, and you're like, oh, you know, how did we work? we got to get our counters in sync or something, right? So we were doing this. We were going that She's like, Daddy, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. And, you know, I was so proud of her because she's going to do this the, 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 the recital thing, and she was nervous about She's going to do anyway. So I said, can I have a milkshake? You know, how do you say, it? when it's just the one in the car, how do you say no to the one? If you have three or more, it's like, no, you can't get a milkshake, because you got to buy one for all of them. But if it's just one, you know, yeah, we can do a milkshake today. It's no problem. Just don't tell the other ones, all right? Shh. Don't y'all tell them either, okay? So so anyway, we get a milkshake, and so we're, we're in the truck, and, and she asked me this question. This is what she says. She says, Dad, so listen, I want to make sure, I, 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 I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to the other place. That's what I said, the other place. She don't want to say it. Um, and I said hell she goes dad like you know anyway she don't want to go to the other place I said okay so well honey you know how that works I said you you believe that Jesus is your savior right and she goes yeah I said then why are you I don't get it why are you there's what's the problem well you know like I know because people do bad things like you know if you do bad things like you you know you might go there I said no it's not how it works and this is where this is where if you're religious, if you're in, if you snuck in today and you're kind of like all religious like you, this is about to freak you out. So I hate it, but don't you be preaching anything different to my kid. I'm responsible for them, not you. So, I'm just saying, I refuse to have my kids believe anything other than than gospel truth, man. I'm not gonna have them growing up wishy washy about whether they're gonna go to heaven or go to hell. They don't. I'll oh, forget that mess. That's not worth living. That's not worth living like that. For. Get it. Right. Get it right. Get it right. And enjoy your life. And so I tell her, I said, baby, if you're Jesus is Lord, you're going to heaven. She said, yeah, but, Dad, but, but people do things wrong. I said, yeah, people do things wrong. So you're saying, she said, Dad, okay, so you're saying if they have Jesus, they do things wrong, they're still going to heaven. I was like, yeah. She, she, her mind's going like. K-k-k-k-k. So she's doing this right here. She's fiddling with her little milkshake top, Just popping the straw out and stuff like that. There's a rule when you ride with me. You're going to get a milkshake. First of all, water is usually all you get in my car. If I'm going to give you, you, the straw stays in and the top stays on. You're not messing around with flicking stuff. You know, now we got a milkshake all over the car. We ain't doing that. That's the rule in my truck, okay? Well, she's doing this while I'm trying to talk to her about a pretty serious issue. And I said, baby girl, what are you, th- look, I said, put the straw in the thing. What, do you know the rule? She goes, yeah. I says, let me, let me show you something. If you spill that milkshake in my truck, am Am I going to be upset with you? She goes, yeah. Am I going to be disappointed? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be disappointed in you. Who's going to clean it up? She goes, well, I have to. I said, but then who's coming behind you and really cleaning it up? <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Y'all got a little, you know what, I, you get it. She said, you will. I watched this. Hang on, Come on. hang on. Listen, pay attention to me right here. Like, I'm about to mess with your mind right now, okay? Listen, I know. I know I'm about to let you go. I said, you make a mess in my truck. I'm going to help you clean it up. But you're still my baby girl. Right? (laughs) Yeah, Daddy. Did anything change? I mean, am I mad? Am I frustrated because you dropped a chocolate milkshake? Yeah, because I told you to keep the lid on the thing and the straw. We don't do that, right? It's my truck. Don't mess up my truck. But are you still my baby girl? Yeah. Same thing with Jesus. God so loved you, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he don't care if you spill a milkshake. He's big enough to clean it up, man. Is he frustrated? Yeah. Does he get disappointed in this? Are you kidding me? How could he not? But are we still his family? Oh, yeah. He looks at every one of you and says, you're my baby girl Are you my son. No, it matter. And you can argue with it all you want to. You say, well, I don't believe that. You can say, that's not true. It's not fair. It's not right. It doesn't matter what you and I believe when it comes to that. You've got to go back to what do the words say. Jesus said this, if you believe in me, you shall be saved. Not based not on whether you're so good or not so good. John three eighteen says, He who believes in Him does not judge, but he who does not believe in Him has been judged already because he who has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. That's the one thing I told my baby girl. Listen, you want to tell you the one thing that God doesn't forgive? Because that's what she heard about. She heard about this. Unpardonable sin. She's nine years old. Unpardonable sin. I said, are you kidding me? Are we going to really go here? She said, yeah. I said, well, baby, listen, the only thing He's not going to forgive is if you reject Jesus Christ. Because there's too much proof and evidence to say that he is who he is. If you reject him, he can't forgive you. That's the only thing he looks at and says, I can't do anything with that. Because I've proven everything I am to you. If you accept him, then he'll say, Man, listen, I don't like the fact that you built the milkshakes, but I'll clean it up. I help you. And hopefully we'll get you to a place where you're not spilling so many milkshakes. That's his goal. That's called discipleship. That's called the transformation of the gospel. But it doesn't mean that just because you spilled the milkshake, God doesn't love you anymore. He still loves you. You're still his kid. And he did all this. Look, as words to me, you guys come on up because I'm going to wrap up. He did all this without, listen to me. He put it in the words to prove undeniable who he was before he ever was resurrected. So that when the resurrection did take place, it was just the kind of the cherry on top of the ice cream. It's like, listen, he said who he was; he is who he said, and he's done it, and he's given you and I this this opportunity to live your life without fear of. Am I by going there, or going there, because I spilled a couple of milkshakes. He loves you too much for you to live like that. He wants you to enjoy your salvation and work through the process. He's going to grow you up and develop you. But God loves you too much to struggle with that part. So right where you are today, I want to